Pastor Marvin got mixed up because he is on TikTok. <laughs> and you may not know, he went viral for all of the dances that he is doing on there. So you can go follow him on TikTok. <laughs> and, oh my, I don't know if we can get this back, but we're going to try. It's great to, uh, to be with you today. I was gone a couple weekends. I was uh, on the West Coast all of last week. Uh, many of you know, but some of you may not, that this church is a part of a denomination called the Alliance. And every two years, the Alliance has their general council, which is the gathering of churches and pastors and staff within that denomination. There are nearly 2,000 churches in the United States that are a part of the Alliance. And so we went to Spokane, Washington last week, several of the staff, and there were a little over 2,000, again, pastors and staff members that prayed together, worshiped together, had services in the evening, and then the best part were the business meetings during the day that are followed by Robert's rule of order. And if you're not familiar with uh, the rules of Robert, just be very grateful and thankful for that. And you can Google that later and see all the fun that you missed. But um, it, was a, it was a great week. I do want to thank Pastor Blaine who wrapped up our uh, series on generosity and did his best John Madden impersonation that week. And then um, our weekend of worship I heard was fantastic. Fantastic last weekend here at our Northside campus. And what you may not know too is that our very own young adults pastor, Pastor Ashley Jenga, preached her first sermon at our Steel Valley campus. And so um, she was greatly represented by a lot of young adults who were there, and I'm so grateful that uh, they were able to do that. As you've already heard, we are going to spend the summer in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon. We're going to focus on Matthew's version of that, which is in chapters 5, 6, and 7. And I would invite you and encourage you to not only read along with us, but spend time meditating on that. Maybe some of you want to journal and spend time praying over those words. I know it's a familiar passage to a lot of you who grew up in church. Um, you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. But I don't want the familiarity of this sermon. Um, I don't want us to miss the significance of it, And so I invite you to do that throughout the summer. I'm going to uh, kick this off the first few weeks, and then throughout the summer there will be other staff that, that preach on that as well. So it's going to be a good time over the next 12 weeks going through the Sermon on the Mount. The year was 1987, and it was at Texas A&M University. A professor by the name of Virginia Stem Owens, she assigned her freshman English class... The assignment to read through what she called the essay of Jesus, his Sermon on the Mount. And then after reading it, they were to turn in a paper that gave their response. So as she collected all the papers after the students read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, she opened the first paper and she read this line from a student. In my opinion, the student wrote, religion is one big hoax. The second paper, there was a line that said, there is an old saying that you shouldn't believe everything you read, and it applies in this case. The third paper is, the professor moved on. She read these words, it's hard to believe something that was written down thousands of years ago. Another student wrote in response to the Sermon on the Mount, the stuff churches preach is extremely strict, and it allows for almost no fun without thinking it's a sin or not. 
Another student wrote about the sermon, I did not like the essay, the Sermon on the Mount. It was hard to read and it made me feel like I had to be perfect. And no one is. Finally, another student wrote this. The things asked in this sermon are absurd. To look at a woman is adultery? That is the most extreme, stupid, unhuman statement that I have ever read. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, it's familiar to most people. I mean, it's familiar to many of you, again, because you grew up in church and you've read the Bible and you're familiar with it. But think about it. Even those that aren't worshiping on a Sunday morning like this, even those that don't go to church, they would not profess any faith in Christ. Many of the world, they know lines and often even use statements Jesus made in the sermon. How many have heard people say, well, do unto others what you would have them do unto you? That's in the sermon, and most people know that. Or how about turn the other cheek? Or this is a popular one the world likes to use. Well, don't judge, or you will be judged. And we even say things like that, say things like, you know, he's a real salt of the earth kind of guy. Some people love this sermon. Some people hate the sermon. But there's one thing you can't do, and that's ignore it. See, Jesus' sermon was intended to shake things up. It was intended to take down the value system of our world. It was intended to flip it on its head. So we ask, well, what is this sermon? What was Jesus' intention of the Sermon on the Mount? I would say that this is the inauguration speech of King Jesus. It introduces to the world a different type of kingdom, the kingdom of God. It describes what human life, it describes what community can look like when they come under the rule of God's grace. It's an announcement, a proclamation of the good news. It's a proclamation of a new king for God's people that has come. He's establishing a new covenant. And yes, it is certainly a manifesto of our king. Now I know many people in our world have written manifestos for evil. And we've seen that played out even in our country. But this manifesto is a good news manifesto. Let me give you the definition of what a manifesto is. It is a mission statement or it is a document disseminated by an individual to expound the guiding principles and, get this, beliefs that inform their actions. It's meant, Jesus meant it to be a moral portrait of the followers of Jesus. His Sermon on the Mount is a picture of what the church of Jesus Christ should be. It's a picture of what his people should be. But here's the problem, and you're already thinking it. All of us recognize and we wrestle with the large gap between what Jesus paints as his people should be and the reality of who we are. This is also very much the purpose of Jesus' most famous sermon. It was not only meant for it to be instructional on how we are to live, but it was also an indictment on all who claim to be Christian. Why? Because if our words and our ways don't agree, our witness is weak. What do you mean by that? Recognize that for those of us who proclaim to be Christian, who proclaim to be followers of Jesus... When the world sees that, but yet does not see us live according to that Sermon on the Mount, they want nothing to do with it. 
Let me give you an example. We'll hit this later um, in one of the weeks of the sermon. Jesus said a famous line in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies. Can we all agree on that? That's in the sermon. Love your enemies. How do we love enemies? Paul gives us the definition of love. We often use it at weddings. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let me give you the definition of love. Paul says love is patient, kind, not jealous, not boastful. It's not proud. It's not rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no records of being wrong. It doesn't rejoice in injustice. But whenever truth wins out, love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. I want you to picture in your mind the greatest enemy you have right now. And ask yourself, are you loving that person as the way Paul defines it? We don't. And so when our words and our ways, when they don't agree, our witness to the world is weak. The Sermon on the Mount then, it's a comprehensive sketch of the teaching and the preaching of Jesus. And in Matthew's context, this sermon is a presentation of Jesus' moral vision. An ethic, if you will, for those who would choose to follow him. And according to Matthew, Jesus was waiting for the crowds to gather before he laid out this moral vision. He had already been baptized. He had already been tempted. He had already returned to the area known as Galilee. And he had already called four disciples to follow him. And Matthew makes it clear that Jesus was on a public tour in this area called Galilee. He was teaching in synagogues. He was preaching about God's kingdom. He was healing all types of people. And with that, with the crowds growing, and that hadn't been done, Matthew introduces Jesus teaching the sermon in this way. Matthew writes, one day he saw the crowds gathering. Jesus went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. Now, before we get to the meat and the bulk of Jesus' sermon, I want us to give an, want to give an introduction this weekend. And I want to make sure we don't miss the symbolism that Matthew is giving us about Jesus in his writing. Matthew is presenting, don't miss this, Matthew is presenting Jesus as a new Moses. What do I mean by that? How is Matthew and why does it matter that, Je- that Matthew is presenting Jesus as a new Moses figure? Remember Moses. Moses ascended to the mountain to receive the word from God. Remember that? Moses sat down on the top of the mountain. Moses descended from the mountain. And then Moses shared with the Israelites what God had said. So too, here in the sermon, Jesus is doing the same thing. Now let me give you some other connections. Even before this, Matthew um, painted connections between Moses and Jesus. Remember, both Jesus and Moses had dreams connected to their birth. The slaughter of innocent children was connected to both of their births. Both Jesus and Moses narrowly escaped the pursuit of jealous rulers. And when they were both born, they had to flee the land in which they were born, only only to return later. And like Moses, Jesus was in a wilderness. He fasted for 40 days, and he was tested by God. And here's the significance of Matthew comparing Jesus to Moses. Jesus is teaching the new law... As the new Moses for the new people of God. 
Jesus is doing something new. So he's preaching a a manifesto that goes vastly beyond the law of Moses. It goes far beyond the Torah. It is the Ten Commandments amplified and expanded. It raises the law to the nth degree. And it guides us to see the Sermon on the Mount not simply as a moral vision, but for us to see Jesus himself. The Jesus who is the new Moses with a new moral vision for God's new people, for us to see Jesus as the Messiah. So as we begin to examine this Sermon on the Mount, how should we then process this? How should we, as we read, and how should we respond? Well, Matthew gives us that response here in the second half of this verse. It says, his disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. Well, it's pretty simple, but... For us, as we read through this and as we spend the summer on it, we must see Jesus as the teacher. The sermon begins this way, as we've just seen, and in a few moments I'm going to go to the end, and you'll see, again, this theme of Jesus being the the teacher is constant. But remember, Jesus isn't just an ordinary teacher. He's not just an ordinary rabbi. He's presented as the new Moses, the new law-giving teacher for a new kind of people. And if Jesus is the teacher, if we're to see him as the teacher, then what do you think our response should be? How should we posture ourselves as his students? Okay? We are his students. And we do this by when we read the Bible, we read it in a posture of a student. In a spirit of humble, reverent reception of what God is saying. And just like the crowds, just like the disciples who were following Jesus... We must sit at the feet of the teacher, and we must learn. However, in addition to posturing ourselves as a student, the proper response to the sermon is to follow. The proper response to the sermon is to actually obey what Jesus is saying. We must examine how to best follow this first century teaching by Jesus in our, in our 21st century world. Stanley Hauerwas is a theologian and in that regard of how we are to take first century teaching of Jesus and apply it in our 21st century world, wrote this. Listen to his words. When he called his society together, Jesus gave its members a new way of life to live. He gave them a new way to deal with offenders by forgiving them. He gave them a new way to deal with violence by suffering. He gave them a new way to deal with money by sharing it. He gave them a new way to deal with the problems of leadership by drawing on the gift of every member, even the most humble. He gave them a new way to deal with the corrupt society by building a new order, not smashing the old. He gave them a new pattern of relationship between men and women, between parent and child, between master and slave, in which was made concrete a radical new vision of what it means to be a human person. The Sermon on the Mount, it forms what Jesus gave to his disciples. It gave to us, it gave us a new way of life. A new kingdom way of life, a new picture in a world surrounded by power brokers of an empire. And I want us to look at the closing of the sermon. 
before we get to any of Jesus' points, before we get to the meat of his sermon, I want us to go to the very end, even though we started at the beginning. Look how Matthew describes Jesus ending this. Jesus has preached the sermon, right? And his closing to the sermon is this. Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Jesus has taught the crowds. And we know a lot of the sermon, and we're going to hear the sermon over the whole summer. But in the end, Jesus says, you can hear it, you can read it, you can memorize it. But if you don't do it, you're like a person who builds their house on sand. It's a familiar parable, which Jesus used a lot of parables, and he ends his famous sermon with one. And both of the people were builders. Both, two people, shared the same vision. Both wanted to build a house. And we too, each and every one of us, are builders. We're building a life. We're building a faith. Some of us, we're building a marriage. We're building a family. You may be building a business. Whatever it is, you are a builder, just like the two people in the, both in the parables. Both those two people that Jesus talked about, they also each shared the same teaching. They both listened to Jesus' teaching, and so too all of us, while we are builders, we too also have access to the teacher, Jesus. We can hear his words. We can read his words. We have access to Jesus. We're all builders. We all have access to the same teaching. We also share the same experiences. These two people shared the same storm. They were affected by the storm. And so to all of us, we know well that we will experience storms in life, negative realities of life and in our world. Now, our storms are all different. They come in many different ways. But how many know it is not always sunshine? The rain comes. But not only did they have the same vision, not only did they have the same teaching, not only did they experience the same storms, they had two different results because they had two different foundations and here is the difference between the two builders one built on a firm foundation a rock and that foundation was not built just sitting at the feet of Jesus that foundation was built on rock because they obeyed and they followed the words of Jesus whereas the other one heard and listened to the words of Jesus they built on sand because they didn't follow his ways. So when the storm came, you know the story, the house was torn down. I want to give my own parable or illustration if I can today. So I'm going to uh, ask for a couple of volunteers to come up. And I already have a couple in mind. Pete Shell, come on up here. He knew this was coming. I want Pete Shell to come up. And Ashley, are you here? I, thought, I think Ashley is. All right, she's coming up. Let's welcome Pete and Ashley. Let's remember what Jesus is saying. In Jesus' sermon, he's presenting a new way of doing things. He's presenting a new kingdom. He's saying all of you are used to the kingdom of the earth. You're used to the kingdom of this world. Ashley, come on this side to my right. 
Pete, just stay here to my left for a minute. So I've got two pieces of paper. And this piece of paper represents the kingdom of this world. Ashley, I'm going to give that to you. This piece of paper represents the kingdom of God. I'm going to give that to you. Jesus is saying, you have a choice. All of us have a choice. We can build our life. We can build our faith. We can build our relationships. We can build our business. We can build our family, our marriages, you name it. You have a choice to build it by listening and obeying to the teachings of God or following the patterns of this world. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you each 30 seconds to rip that piece of paper into as many pieces as you possibly can. Ashley, Pete, I want you to bring the storm to that piece of paper. What are you? I didn't even take go yet. I got excited. My goodness. Here are the rules. Um, you can only use your hands. Okay, can't use the table. I don't know if you have a pocket knife on you, but no knife, no teeth. Okay, only your hands. And I'm going to give you 30 seconds to bring the storm. Can you do that? I'm counting on you, Pete. Okay, ready? Go. Bring the storm. I mean, rip it. Come on, Pete. I know you work out. Pete, let's go. Bring the storm. Come on, Ashley. Thank you. Let's go. Come on. I mean, you talk a big game, Pete. Let's go. Come on, Ashley. Tearing it up. All right, you go. I'm going to need all those. So, go. yeah, come on. Uh, well, did you use your teeth? All right. I'm going to count down. Five, four, three, two, one. You cheater. Give me this. Give me this. Ashley, you got it? All right, here's what happened. Here's the point. Jesus is saying, you have a choice. All of us have a choice. When we hear his teaching in the sermon, if we don't obey, we default to the kingdoms of this world. And when storms come in whatever we may be building, whatever area of your life, if we aren't obeying, when the storms of life come, when the rain comes, that happens. We're done. But if we choose to obey, when the rains and the storm comes, you may get a little wrinkled, you may feel a little torn, but God's kingdom remains. That is our firm foundation. Can you give them a hand? Oh, turkey. Going to have to pay Pete back for that. All of us are builders. We're all building. All of us have access to the teacher. All of us experience the rain and storm. But all of us each have a choice. We can come in here and we can hear. We can go home and we can read. But if we're going to build a foundation that will last, we need to obey. Because if our words and our ways don't agree... Our witness is weak. See, here's what we have to remember. It's not just about you enduring the storm. It's not just about your marriage surviving or your business surviving or your relationship surviving. It is about the witness to the world. There is more at stake than just you or just our church family. The world is watching. 
Your neighbors are watching. Your coworkers are watching. The people online are watching what you say and what you post. And Jesus calls us to live differently. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. Would you stand to your feet? So this summer, as we study Jesus' famous words, it should challenge us to live as people in God's kingdom. It should call us to demonstrate to those around us a whole different way of living. A way that brings blessing. A way that brings peace. A way that brings hope in the storm. And that's what God is calling us to. So, Father, we call on you. We call on your spirit. We cannot do this in our own strength. We can't try harder. We need your spirit to enable us, to empower us. So, Lord, as familiar as some of these words of yours may be, I ask that you would make them afresh and anew in us. Lord, that you would convict us in our personal moments of prayer, that you would speak to us, and again, that you would empower us so that our witness won't be weak to the world, but it'll be strong. Would you do that in us, in your name? was built on you and I'm safe with you I'm gonna make it through come on just sing that with me today rain came wind blue but my house was built on you just tell them I'm safe with you and I'm gonna make it one more time we say the rain came and wind blew but our house was built I'm safe with you Jesus and I'm safe with you and I'm gonna make come on just proclaim it that line I'm gonna make it through I'm gonna make it. Why? Because I'm standing, because I'm standing strong on you. Sing it again. I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make it through. Because my house, because my house is built on you. And Christ is my firm foundation. He's the rock on which I stand. When everything around me shaking, no, I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus. Oh, cause he's never let me down. He's faithful through generation. So why? 
he won't. May we leave today making a commitment in our hearts and even a commitment over the weeks ahead that we will lean in to this kingdom manifesto. As hard as it may be, as much as it may challenge us, would you pray that the Spirit of God would change us, that we would be a people that when the world looks at us, they would see the words of Jesus. Go in peace and in the power of the Lord. Amen. You're dismissed.